0: Incoming transmission. The Klingonese word of the day is pull leg. These are the voyages of the starship Enterprise.
1: So this is a huge victory for the good guys.
0: Scotty, beam me up.
1: Resistance is futile. And go where no man has gone before.
0: Greetings and welcome to the Computer Resume Podcast, the show covering the entire Star Trek franchise in chronological order for fans new and old. I'm your host, writer-comedian, Mr. Todd A. Davis. Ladies and gentlemen, bust out your d20s because today we have Modifius Entertainment's project manager over their line of Star Trek Adventures, the officially licensed TTRPG. It's Jim Johnson. Yeah, Yay, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <I> do, man,
1: <laughs> doing great. Todd, thanks so much for having me on the show. I'm super excited.
0: Oh, uh, we are so excited to have you on. We've been, tr- you know, we've been over the last two and a half years we've been kind of compiling interviews with we've been lucky to get some star trek actors and we've been we've gotten a couple of star trek artists and uh you know we got a few of the star trek comic book people and now this is a big big feather in our cap we got somebody from odiphius who is doing who is directly involved with star trek adventures the ttrpg i absolutely love it uh i mentioned before we started to roll that I played uh, an Andorian security officer on Cosmic Crit, and I've had an absolute blast. Uh, there is there is talk of doing another another uh, section of uh, Star Trek Adventures on Cosmic Crit. Nothing mm-hmm. set in stone yet, but I am looking forward to either reviving um, my Lieutenant Commander and uh, Lieutenant Commander Phileve. <laughs> he's got a he's got a unique name. But uh, yeah, so let's, let's dive right in. How, how did Star Trek Adventures come to be? Because I mean, getting, getting the licensing with something as big as Star Trek is pretty monumental, but mm-hmm. getting this off the ground, I got to imagine is next to a miracle. How, how did all this come to be?
1: Yeah, so um, and this, uh, I'll, I'll be the first to admit that some of the some of the backstory actually predates me, because I came oh. into Modifius as a freelance writer uh, in 2016 to work on the core rulebook. And they had already gotten the license, you know, prior to that. But my understanding is that uh, Chris Birch, who is the president of Modifius, he, uh, he has um, a lot of business acumen, of course, and he has a lot of contacts. And just through his his career, he was able, he's been really good at making, um, you know, marketing deals and and creating licenses and, and signing license IPs to do stuff, right? I think, in fact, I think Chris has told, has told the world that, that at one point he, he ran a, um, like a clothing company right and he was doing licensed t-shirts and that kind of stuff and that gave him a lot of contacts in the business and a lot of means to like create licensed material right and he's a huge gamer he's been a gamer all of his life and uh it was just a natural combination of licenses and gaming to for him to create modifius uh modifius entertainment and uh in 2016 uh he pursued the star trek license and and, and paramount you know signed you know gave him a contract, signed the contract and everything and, uh, and the company rapidly started developing what became Star Trek Adventures, which is interesting because, um, you know, back in 20, almost been 2002, 2003, uh, Decipher had the license to Star Trek um, at the time. They were, also, they were also in charge of the official fan club mm-hmm. and uh, through a variety of issues, Decipher folded in the early aughts. Like two thousand three, two thousand four, somewhere around there, and from two thousand four to two thousand sixteen, like the Star Trek event, uh, the Star Trek RPG license was laying fallow. Like as far as I know, nobody picked it up, and of course, at the time, Enterprise was on the way out. You know, the, the series was on the way out. There were no new movies. Uh, so it was kind of like a downturn for Star Trek a little bit because there was nothing media wise new happening. I mean, the the novels were still going full bore and I think there's still some comic books and some other licensed properties and, and games and stuff happening. But as far as an RPG, there was just nothing happening. And uh, like I know at the time I was I was freelancing in the RPG industry and I had just missed the opportunity to work on the Star Trek RPG with Decipher. Mm. Um I, I'd been working on their licensed Lord of the Rings RPG, and I was making connections. I was like, oh, this will be just a natural transition because they were using the same rule system for Lord of the Rings as they were for Star Trek with, with modifications, obviously. But um, there's just a missed opportunity there. And then, you know, I kind of kept my ear to the ear, ear to the ground and was like, OK, I, I know more people now in the industry than I did before, but none of them were talking about Star Trek in a in real serious Way like you know, like oh you know we're going to pursue the license let's go try to get it so I just didn't hear any of that for you know ten plus years and then uh, I, I just got very fortunate that um, one of my professional contacts that I worked with on the Lord of the Rings RPG was uh, Jason Dural he's he's done a huge amount of stuff in the RPG industry and he emailed me one day and he said hey uh, Modiphius has this new license new license property I think you might want to go check it out <laughs> you send send in your resume and stuff I can't tell you what it is because you're not under NDA yet. Uh, but then he signed off the email uh, live long and prosper so that kind of gave me a little bit of a sense of what was coming nice. uh, but so Modiphius uh, by the time I, I mean I came into Modiphius around it must have been May of 2016 and uh, Nathan Dowdell the system developer at Medivius, he had already started developing the game like the the core rule book he'd already started doing like a beta beta version of the playtest rules yeah. and then I came on board I started doing some writing for the core book. And, uh, and then, like the whole team started coming together and uh over the course of a year and a half we uh we we busted our butts to get that core book done so that we could have it out for gen con uh 2017 right so we had we had uh, i mean there was some pressure there because we had to get it done and approved and, and and ready and, and printed and everything uh but we managed to make it work and uh we released it at gen con and it was uh uh a, a big splash i think i mean i'd never been to gen con prior to that point so it was a completely new experience for me <laughs> right uh but it was, it was fun too at the same time because it was like oh wow we're like literally selling these books right off the pallet. like we were just like the, as fast as we could open boxes people were grabbing it and uh i just remember being so excited that um i i brought a uh, a bunch of sharpies with me a bunch of s- silver sharpies and uh um i grabbed my comp copy when i was there and i just had everybody i had all the fans sign it for me like i I, you know they were i was happy to sign their books but i was like no 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 this is star trek you you sign my book i want i want your autograph in my book and uh (laughs) it was just really exciting and i still got that that's like my heirloom at this point because uh so many people have signed that over the years and uh it's just it's just so meaningful to me because uh, star trek is just one big family i know we were talking right before you started uh recording that um, you've been so fortunate to have amazing guests on your show from the Star Trek family, like production people and actors and other people. And that's just how it how it works. Like when you start making connections, then it just exponentially grows from there. And it's just amazing how how many amazing people we've been able to loop into the RPG over the last seven years to work on it or just to be involved in it. And plus all the fans like the fans are just amazing. So it's been a really cool ride for uh, the last seven years
0: yeah uh, looking at uh, how how the TTRPG landscape really came back with a big boom uh you know I, most people will cite two things um strange uh, stranger things, the show stranger things and of course critical role. Um, but it should be noted that not uh, you know, Not all TTRPGs are the same. You know, a lot of people cite 5E, of course, Dungeons & Dragons 5th Edition, uh, with it being the most recent, um, arguably the most accessible version of the game. But Star Trek Adventures is not a 5th Edition game, it is actually a... 2d 20 system can you just briefly for folks who maybe are familiar with 5e but aren't familiar with the 2d 20 can you give us sort of the overview of how that system differs from other systems and what what kind of sets it apart and why that's a great system for star trek
1: uh, sure, I will do my very best. I will be the first to admit that I've played a little bit of five e but not a lot of it. Um, I was a okay. big fan of 4th edition to be honest with you and uh-huh. uh, I know that makes me kind of a pariah among the d and d circles <laughs> because apparently nobody liked d uh, nobody liked fourth edition except me apparently That's uh, what but I, I, I mean, yeah. the fourth edition was the game that got me back into RPGs you know when it when it came out because like I was in a in a real fallow period for a while. And mm-hmm. it was like, just nothing was out there gaming-wise that really excited me for RPGs. And then 4th Edition came out, and I was like, oh, wow, this is so different and so cool. And it just like the way the powers and everything worked, it was just amazing. Um, but anyway, so... Uh, so. Um... Star Trek Adventures is a 2D 20 system. Uh, Medifius has an in-house system called 2D 20, and it is a very adaptable system to where we've taken 2D 20, uh, especially Nathan, because Nathan is the primary system designer and developer at Medifius, He's able to take two, the baseline 2D 20 system, uh, of, of which there's now an SRD available. So like I know SRDs are a big thing in the D&D circles, but there's an right. SRD for 2D 20, and we are able to adapt that to different genres into different properties. So like the Conan, dune star trek uh, john carter of mars uh even the newer ones that are coming out like dreams and machines that is releasing a gen con uh I, well i mean tomorrow but i don't know when this air is going to air but uh, 20, 2023 gen con is when dreams and machines is coming out uh so uh and even though they're all kind of got like the core components of 2d20 they all feel very different and they all feel very um true to their specific genre or specific IP, right. So if you're playing Dune, it's going to feel very different from Star Trek, which is going to feel very different from Conan, uh, just because of the way that uh, Nathan and the development team are able to um, really build in what's essential to the to the IP into the game. And so like, if you're looking for a a RPG that feels like Star Trek, like has the, the the cadence and the tone and the and, and just the way a Star Trek episode works on the screen. If you yeah. want that kind of experience at your game table, that's what two D twenty is. That's what Star Trek Adventures is trying to attempting to emulate, even down to where like the game is built around a scene and encounter economy, where you you do a scene and then you do a scene and then you do a scene, and that is exactly how the start how an episode of Star Trek works, right? Where you see a scene stuff happens and then it transitions to the next scene and the next scene. And as you go through those scenes, you just build and build and build. And um, with the uh, the uh, meta currencies that are built into the game, we have momentum and we have threat where players are able to use a few points of momentum To help give themselves advantages or to gather more information or to help shape that scene to some extent and then the game master on the other side has a has a currency called threat and the threat is used to um like add in some more adversaries or to create some more complications or to add some challenges and what that does is um it, it it gives kind of a even playing field to where the players don't feel like the game master is just like creating things by dictate like it's not just gm fiat that things happen there's actually a currency they actually have to kind of earn the right to to throw things at the players It, it, it tries to keep it um collaborative as opposed to competitive like i I know in a lot of games i've played you kind of feel like you're playing against the gm and the gm is trying to like destroy you and it's not just you know not (laughs) any specific game but there are games out there that, that 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 has happened uh but because star trek you know as a property is all about teamwork all about collaboration we really built that into the core components of the game where if you're playing the game there's a there's an assist mechanic where like if you're trying to do something your your crew can help you your ship can help you uh you know by adding extra extra d20s to your roll attempt and unlike d where you're trying to roll high on one d20 in uh star trek adventures you're trying to roll low uh on at least 2d20 you, you you normally roll 2d20 for any task attempt uh but you can you can buy up to three more dice whether you have a, a an ability that helps you gain a bonus d twenty, or you can spend momentum to uh, to buy more dice, so the, the, that currency kind of like ebbs and flows. And that's really the point of the game is like you can you can buy more dice by giving the game master threat. So there's a calculated you know choice there. Like, do I give the game master some tools to maybe make our lives more challenging, or do uh-huh. I play it safe, or do I go for it? Like, there's some uh, some real dynamics there that you can play with, and it's really fun. Like as a player, I've had a chance to play it a few times. It's just really fun to get into that 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 decision making, especially when like the drama, the drama in the scene is really high. It's like, oh, do I do I take the chance now and spend all the momentum, or do I play it safe and save it for my next for the next player who might have something amazing that they want to attempt? and and it just gets into a really good table conversation. And um it I have never noticed uh, really like in some games, I think um some players will be kind of like sitting back waiting for their turn to do something amazing. Yeah. But in Star Trek, um, it's like, oh, I'm going to try to do something amazing, but I need help. Like, can you can you give me can you spend your turn just giving me an assist? instead of trying to do something cool on your own And, and like the collaborative nature really comes through, because yeah. the rules encourage it, but then they get out of the way. Um, and it just lets you get into the narrative and, into the storytelling and the role playing, uh, which for certain groups of people is fantastic, right? That, that's, that's what they want is they want that narrative approach, which is feels like the episodes. And I I totally acknowledge that there are plenty of gamers out there who would want even more crunch in their game, right. And and so 2d20 has that ability, though, where uh, you can turn the dial to some extent that you can turn the crunch up, you can turn the crunch down, it just depends on where your your group is comfortable, where you're comfortable as a game master. And uh, like, I don't know, I'm not a system developer myself, but I don't know how Nathan managed to balance all those things and bring it all together in such a way that that it all made sense. Right. Um, But I'm just grateful because like me personally, I'm not really into crunch and my group, we are really super into the narrative and into the role playing. Uh, I mean, to the point where there was there was sessions where we would play for three hours, and I think the dice hit the table once, maybe. and we were just oh. spending the whole time riffing off each other role playing and, and to the point where like I would listen to the recording later. and I'd be like, man, if I had If I had the time to put in some sound effects, this would almost be like a radio drama, like because that's just where we were. We were (laughs) we were doing the scenes. We were doing the character stuff. We were doing the role playing. And then as a game master, I would just like drip in little situations or NPCs or just, you know, adding to the adding to the scene and just to keep them moving along. And it just worked. It just worked really well. So um, I, I know I'm lucky because I had good players. But I, I, I know I've seen plenty of other people have similar experiences because, uh, you know, fortunately with with technology being what it is now, people can play the game live on Twitch or on YouTube or whatever, and they share it with the world. And and I can just sit there and watch it and go, oh wow, this is I get to watch more Star Trek. So this is great. Yeah. Um, anyway, so I, I've been going on about it. I'll stop no, now. No, no, no. <laughs> this
0: is wonderful. I, to be honest, like a- as a as a fan of Star Trek. And as a uh, growing fan of TTRPGs, I, I'll, I'll admit it's I'm I'm here in the buckle of the Bible Belt in Upstate mm. South Carolina, uh-huh. so I I didn't get into TTRPGs until the pandemic, when mm. we were sitting around with nothing else to do, and I was like, you know what? Uh, I don't think these are going to be as uh, as evil as they as they preached. So let's (laughs) let's see what let's see what they let's see what they're all about. And, you know, Uh and discovering eventually uh, Star Trek Adventures, I got to say my hats off to the entire Modifius crew. They you guys have put together such a wonderful slice of the franchise. I don't want to say for fans to play it's for fans to experience because Mm. you are, you are there, you are there. Mm -hmm. And like you said, they are structured like scenes. So it is very much like an episode or like a movie where if you know the world of star Trek, you're kind of, you kind of have an edge of like, Mm -hmm. okay, we need to scan for life forms. We need to scan for energy sources. We need to, uh, you know, detect, you know, these, these different things. And it, And it really, uh, like, I'm super curious. I want to ask you more about uh, the session where you guys hardly rolled dice at all. That sounds like an amazing game. Oh, yeah. Uh, But let me, (laughs) um, getting into uh, a little bit more about you, When Mm -hmm. when I have somebody on the show who is super passionate about Star Trek, but also super passionate about something else, I always like to ask the question, which came first star trek and in your case ttrpgs which which one really entered your life first do you recall star trek star yeah. trek, star trek okay, absolutely cool. yeah what, i mean, I, I remember what was your first exposure to the franchise
1: yeah i remember i mean i was uh I was living in new york um back in 1970 something Uh, i was just a kid right i was i was like a six-year-old kid and i remember like my first exposure to star trek that i can remember is uh my i had a i had a little teeny tiny like three inch black and white portable tv like i mean let's talk a real chintzy little thing that i could carry around with me of course i was limited by the 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 length of the cord right there's only so far i could go with it because it wasn't battery operated but it was a little teeny tiny black and white tv and it had one of those cheap aerials on it that folded out and then telescoped and like yes. you had to kind of like move it around to try to find the signal and fortunately yeah. I, w- I was living in an apartment building at the time so if, if i went up to like the top floor and like got out of my friend's window and kind of like moved the aerial around sometimes i'd get a signal um and uh, i remember occasionally we would pick up a rerun of the original series in black and white I whatever the affiliate was in New York at the time I don't remember um but we would uh, you know and I would watch you know snippets of it it wouldn't be more than like 10 15 minutes of it but I could it was enough to see Spock or Kirk or Scotty or somebody doing something cool on screen and then my friends and I we'd go down to the playground and uh, at the time I don't remember the company but some company had made like this little plastic landing party set that had a little plastic tricorder and a little plastic communicator and a a cheap plastic uh, phaser and like we'd share those things and we would just run around being you know Federation versus Klingons or something I don't remember Um, but it was just like that was my first exposure to Star Trek and then as I started getting older and a little more mature. And I started understanding what Star Trek was to a deeper level. That's yeah. when the 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 diversity and the inclusion and the equity and the teamwork and just all the good values that were in Star Trek really started hitting me and shaping me uh, yeah. to where you know, to where I am now. Uh, but that absolutely just watching the show was the big ex- first exposure to me. I didn't pick up on RPGs until uh, the early 80s when when, you know, D&D was out. Uh, but right. yeah, so Star Trek was the was the big first uh, the big first hit for me.
0: So is it safe to say Kirk is your
1: captain uh you know interestingly no because I think um I I enjoyed Kirk and I enjoyed Spock and I enjoyed Scotty but I was so young at the time I like none of them really imprinted on me as as far as like a hero kind of thing I think that didn't happen until you know 77 because of course I'm the Star Trek generation or Star Wars generation so like Luke Skywalker was my hero for for years and years and years and years uh but you know I think Picard was my captain for a long time uh because next generation was so good when it came out and and I was going I was in college at the time and that's where I got out of you know I got out of high school and I was really looking for like good figures to emulate and to and to think about so Picard was pretty amazing for a while of course Patrick Stewart is amazing in and of himself you know but I don't think it was until DS9 came out and I saw Cisco and I was like, "Oh my gosh, Cisco as a character is so amazingly well rounded and so complete as a character that Cisco became my captain more than any other captain." Um, although I have to admit that Pike has got got an inside lead on him right now because Pike is so amazing. Like what Anson Mount is doing with Pike is just amazing. I mean, in particular yeah. in, in this episode that we're talking about that we're recapping tonight right is uh you know, the, the last two episodes of Dece- discovery season two just yeah. amazing and and uh i i just i love watching anson mount and everything he does and what he did with pike was just was just spectacular and i hope they don't screw it up in strange new worlds but so far they seem to be doing a pretty good job with it
0: <laughs> I, yeah you know uh i mean we're, we're getting a little bit ahead here but yeah, yeah sorry I, I no no it, to be honest that's kind of how the conversation flows man like I was discussing uh, on our last episode with, I believe it was with uh, Patrick Cunningham, a buddy of mine, a comedian out of uh, Philadelphia, Mm -hmm. and he's a big big fan of Pike as well. And looking at all of the things that Anson Mount has been able to do in season two of Discovery leading up to, of course, uh, you know, captaining the ship, Mm -hmm. captaining the show. Of strange new worlds and with their very successful first season and here we are we are at, at time of recording we are just about i think tomorrow is the release of subspace rhapsody the mm-hmm. the musical episode right. uh which uh, some people are hating already and i'm not sure why <laughs> but <laughs> uh, it's, all it's fandom say, for like, you yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, he has done some really, really amazing things. Not only mm-hmm. as an actor, but as this guy who kind of embodies this character. You know, and uh, I, I could sing the praises of Ants, uh, of Anson Mount for a long, long time. Yeah. But it's it's really cool to see somebody uh, in the driver's seat of a particular series who is also a big fan. Mm-hmm. of the series and mm-hmm. the franchise. So uh that is really really fantastic. But let's let's go back a little bit uh just before we kind of get into new trek. I wanted mm-hmm. to get your opinion since you did start before uh you know you're you were a fan long before Legacy Trek. Mm-hmm. What was it like seeing Encounter at Farpoint, you know, with with everything that came with those early those early episodes of TNG? How was that for you coming into this new chapter of the franchise, having grown up with uh, the original series? And I assume the Hanna-Barbera cartoon.
1: Oh, yeah, the animated series for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. And the animated series was amazing, because it was so different than everything else that was on Saturday morning. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? It was like, you watch your your, your Bugs Bunny or your uh, or your Tom and Jerry or something. And then all of yeah. a sudden, you get, you know, 30 minutes of Star Trek. And It's like, whoa, this is so different. And, <laughs> you know, I, I just rewatched the animated series recently. And um, it wasn't really aimed at kids. Right? like it, it wasn't like haha ha, funny slapstick stuff like you would expect on most of the other morning shows it was it was star trek right it, i mean it was really truly really star trek and sure. i think part of that is because i think there was a if i remember right there was a writer strike on at the time um but the union at the time allowed writers to write one short animated script or, yeah. or something and so uh, dc fontana and the producers of the anime series were like, well, we're going to hire as many good writers as we can to write one script for one season or something or, or a season and a half or whatever they ended up doing. I think it was 24, yeah. 24 episodes, something like that. Yeah. Uh, so it's really that, yeah. good. I mean, it, it's 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 good, solid track. I mean, It was just a continuation of season three, basically uh, almost a season four there. And um, but anyway, yeah. So um, Encounter at Farpoint for me, I mean, so that was 80 that came out in 87 yeah. So I was, you know, I was just coming out of high school. So I was, you know, 18 and, uh, and, and I was, I was primed for more Star Trek because that by that point I had watched the original series reruns a million billion times because, uh, you know, the affiliates picked it up in syndication and you could watch it anywhere all the time. Yeah. Um, I was a big fan of the photo novels. I don't, remember, I don't know if you remember the photo novels uh, that came out photo novels. Yeah. and, uh, back then, of course there was also, um, I think, pocketbooks or whoever had the license at the time it might have been pocketbooks simon and schuster was starting to do star trek novels too right and that's when i was really getting into reading and writing and um in a a bigger way and it's like oh so now i've got all this great star trek story but now there's going to be star trek on tv and it's going to be on a rate on a regular i mean at the time i thought it was going to be on a regular night at a regular time and so for me next generation became much watched tv like i didn't watch a lot of tv when i was in school because of course i had you know a job and and responsibilities and stuff um but uh, i was like i always made time for star trek i always made time for next gen and um of course this is back in the day when we had vcrs and if you saw oh, tapes yeah. and you and you could record live television, we didn't have what we have now where we have streaming 24-7 or whatever. Right. But so, and of course, <laughs> if you if you knew what you were doing with the with the tapes, you could record a lot of time on a on a on a on a VHS tape. And so I figured it out, and if I if I timed the commercials just right and hit the pause button just right, and I and I stopped it at just the right points where it breaks and started, I could fit like seven or eight episodes on one VHS tape, right? And I was meticulous about recording the episode title and the date that I recorded it, and I was starting to build myself a library of next gen um, episodes just on this you know chintzy VHS tape. And uh, when they finally when the season first season ended, I was just watching that on regular rotation like I didn't even wait for it to come back on syndication. I had the tapes I had I had like the five VHS tapes that I could just watch over and over and over again. And uh, I even loaned those up to one of my friends and between him and me we wore out the tape. And we were like, Oh, no, what do we do now. (laughs) <laughs> we've, we've worn it out right we can't watch it again yeah. and then of course we could watch it on you know, reruns or something because it was in syndication fortunately uh but no i was i was all for more star trek i i, I know that the some of the older fans were a little jaded because they're like oh they can't remake star trek they, you know picard's no kirk or whatever but mm. they gave it time and fortunately the studio gave it time so that by the time uh, next gen because there was another writer's strike right there at the end of season two or in the middle yep. of season two but boy, I tell you, once they came out of that strike and they started season three and they changed up the uniforms and they got that the new writing group in there, holy cow, Next Gen just took off in season three. And yeah. there was no looking back at that point because it was it was just amazing.
0: Yeah, you know, it really is fun to watch. Um, uh, I end up putting on Next Gen whenever I leave the house for yeah. for for my dog. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um he loves the music and he loves he loves Picard. And who yeah. and, and who can blame him? Yeah. Uh, but yeah looking at looking at all those things and it, it's so funny to me to you know hear the stories, especially from the documentary Chaos on the Bridge where they talk about you know coming out of TOS and movies and getting into TNG mm-hmm. where uh people were picketing about like hey you know Picard's no Kirk or you know yeah. if it's not Spock and Kirk it's not Trek and yada, yada yada and then flash forward 30 years where TNG and the legacy era have become the gold standard mm-hmm. and now we an- they announce uh star trek discovery Mm -hmm. 2017 what was it like to see another era of trek begin with i mean yeah
1: i know yeah and and for me it was exciting right because uh um what 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 happened so the next gen movies came out Mm -hmm. and to fair to midland reviews i think uh first contact was the high point and then insurrection and then nemesis was kind of a downward trend um And then uh star trek enterprise unfortunately just couldn't get past that fourth season which is unfortunate because i think i think i think enterprise has the most interesting premise of all the star trek series uh today because i think just the that that founding prequel kind of feel was really cool and what i really man yeah right what i really liked about it is how because i'm a i'm a i'm a i'm a space race geek I, like I'm a, I'm a space program nerd and uh the fact that the even the uniforms like the the jumpsuits that they wore were very similar to what the astronauts wore on the space shuttle is like oh yeah. I'm I am all in on this and uh you know they got uh they got backula to be the captain which was amazing and they had a really good cast of characters i think they underutilized a lot of that cast which was unfortunate Um, But I think uh, by the time they got to season four, they were doing some really interesting stories and they were clearly building up to some cool stuff that we know about in canon. And then they just couldn't they couldn't finish the deal, which is unfortunate. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, but so then after Enterprise got canceled, then there was kind of a fallow period because there was no new movies. There was no new series. And then the the J.J. Abrams movies came out, and that really, I think, shot a shot a spark of interest back into Star Trek and revitalized it. I almost wonder if uh, a lot of people don't don't really acknowledge that because I uh, think I think if the, the J.J. Verse movies hadn't done, or at least the first one, if it hadn't done so well, I'm not confident we would have gotten Discovery. Um, I think I think I'd have to think about that a little bit more, but uh, I think um, having the J.J. Verse movie come out in 2009. Um, really helped remind studios that Star Trek was a property that they could do something with meaningful with. Um, And so when they announced uh, discovery, I was like, Oh, I can't wait. Um, Because I lived through the first golden age when we had next gen DS nine and then Voyager plus the movies on top of that. I mean, there was a lot of Star Trek in the, what was that? That must've been the the late nineties.
0: Yeah. Um, Mid eighties to like mid to late nineties. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And that was, that was great. And I remember like, um, there was a, especially here in America, there was a Star Trek convention every weekend, like, like somewhere within where you lived in, the, in in America, there was probably a Star Trek convention within reach of you, almost every weekend, or at least every month. Like, I think creation was running most of them. And there was just I mean, there's conventions everywhere. And I remember my group, my fan, my friends and I, and my gaming group, because we were playing like a homebrew Star Trek game at the time. Oh, wow. Um, we would make the road trip. Like we, I live in Virginia and we would make the road trip to like York, Pennsylvania or, Ooh. uh, Richmond, or I mean, we, we, we went out cause like we would, you know, cause of course there were so many conventions you could kind of pick and choose like what, what guests of honor do we want to go see? Do we want to go into DC and see Shatner or do we want to go up to York, Pennsylvania and see like all the doctors? Cause that was kind of cool to see, uh, nice. you know, DeForest Kelly and Gates and, uh, and, um, uh alexander siddick and stuff it was like well this is so cool and so we kind of like roamed around the the mid part of the eastern seaboard just going to all these conventions uh but then you know that started tapering off as 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 star trek got a little less popular as the movies tapered off and as the series tapered off then it was kind of a fallow period um and then with discovery coming out it was like oh new series and that and that was really amazing uh and then discovery sparked everything else right lower decks uh prodigy Stranger worlds picard all that has to have been stemming from Discovery's initial success and uh, and now there's just got this whole thing going on now there's all kinds of Star Trek happening and it's just amazing to to be in the middle of it um and, and just enjoying it as, as a fan especially as a fan I'm enjoying the hell out of it um but also being in the position of working on this game and seeing it all kind of being tied together in a different way as as rpgs do it's mm. just a it's just an exciting dynamic period of time here and i'm just enjoying it <laughs> like i said i'm just enjoying it because there's so much yeah. star trek and for someone as passionate about star trek as i am i just i can't get enough of it it's like it's star trek 24 7 and uh i just i'm not tired of it
0: yet which is yeah, amazing much yeah it's it's so fascinating to me that with because legacy trek and, and this isn't a knock like the franchise has grown and changed over time but one of the things that really struck me with new trek um is that now there's a trek for every mood like mm-hmm. if you're if you're kind of newer to the franchise and you really enjoy the diversity aspect and mm-hmm. the serialized nature of storytelling discovery your thing if you're kind of brand new to star trek you um you know if you have no idea about star trek you might want to start with prodigy if you're a fan of animation and comedy like family guy rick and morty lower decks like lower and lower decks is also kind of like for hardcore trekkers too because it's fun because they've got the surface level comedy it's a workplace Mm -hmm. comedy that's what it is uh but it's also super um inside baseball there's a lot of like really deep cut trek Mm -hmm. jokes in there that i absolutely adore if you're guys like us who you know tng picard picard actually kind of looks a little like my dad so (laughs) picard was very (laughs) was very big uh for me growing up yeah So when they announced that picard was coming back oh man what a what a shot of nostalgia Mm -hmm. um and then of course you know with this success of discovery and of course the presence of Anson Mount in season two mm-hmm. Strange New Worlds. Let's tell the story of Enterprise just before Kirk got there. Right. And man, that has been doing gangbusters because one of the big things that they announced with that was that they were returning to an episodic to an episodic structure, but mm-hmm. that the character arcs would be serialized. And I thought that was such a smart way to go yeah and man has it worked well it has worked Mm -hmm. so well um Mm. but yeah so let's let's take a look at season two of discovery i imagine this was not a first viewing for you um but i know for me coming back and revisiting these episodes here at the end of season two, like I knew what happened, but somehow it kind of hit me a little bit differently. It hit me a little bit deeper. Uh, What was this rewatch of these two episodes, the two part season finale, such sweet sorrow. How did these hit for you on this rewatch?
1: Yeah. Great question, Todd. Uh, So uh, I've, I've watched discovery the first two seasons, especially quite a few times straight through like probably eight or nine times straight through oh, partly wow. because we we developed a a a, a a a campaign guide for the rpg based That's on all, the first yeah. two se- based on the first two seasons of discovery and um so we did a lot of research and, and and spent a lot of time watching the show to do that but especially just because I'm a fan like I love season two like I will watch season two straight through Anytime I've got the opportunity to do it, because Anson Mount, Ethan Peck, um, uh, Re- Rebecca uh, uh, Romaine—I'm horrible on her last name—Romaine. Uh, Romaine. Romain, Romsen, 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 Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and then the whole cast, like the the energy that they had in season two was so amazing, and and the writing was so good, and the and the effects were so crisp. It's it like a mini movie. Every time, every episode is like a little movie, like a, yeah. a little high budget movie, and. Uh, but um, I haven't rewatched these two episodes probably for about a year uh, just because, you know, we're moving on to other things in the game. And and I've got <laughs> I got so many other, I got so much other Star Trek to watch. Right. I mean, we right, just right. did a Lower Decks book, so I was spending a lot of time watching Lower Decks. Um, but um, with um, with Discovery, like, coming back to these two, I, I I really it was kind of fun and interesting to kind of sit back and watch it because this was done, what, like five years ago. Mm -hmm. and and like the actors were in a different place and they had different things going on like i don't think strange new worlds was a was a was a certain thing yet um so so, like i was watching anson mount in these last two episodes and like it was just fascinating to watch how earnest he was and like how how driven he was to like really nail pike in every scene and and, like to just to do all the nuances and stuff and i'm like I, i could almost see this as like this is his audition tape for like like a wink to the studio saying, Hey, after this is done, you really ought to be thinking about a pike show on the Enterprise afterwards, you know, hey. And you know, it, so it was fascinating <laughs> to see that. And like Ethan, Ethan Peck with the Spock beard was such a different look and feel compared to what we're seeing on Stranger New Worlds now. And it's yeah. like, Oh, it's young Spock and he's got a beard and it's all different and it's weird. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then even like the rest of the crew, too, like you know, Saru and Burnham and uh and Ash and everybody else. It was it was nice to revisit those characters yeah. and you know even Samus and and um and uh um Colbert I just went on the Dr. Uh, Culber yeah. Uh so it was just it was great to go back and see them. Um so I, I really enjoyed that. But yeah, it absolutely hit different uh, not just from a technical perspective because like I really noticed in these two episodes especially the directors were really into the into the the one-shot pans, right? They go from this character to this character to this character. It was just constant movement of the camera. It's even a little just dis- disorienting. Whereas in other shows, you would get, you know, quick cuts from character to character to character, yep. which is what we're a little bit more used to from Legacy Track because they didn't right. always do that a lot steady, of dynamic steady ones and twos. Yeah. yeah. They didn't always do a lot of dynamic camera work. Uh so you know, I, I appreciated that, but um um yeah, it was just nice. Like I when I was starting to watch the the first part of the two-parter, like I initially I was like, oh, I'll just watch it and then I'll be ready for the show, but I was like I got sucked in. I got sucked right into it, into the, all the character dynamics. Uh which which I was surprised at because like I knew that the first few times I watched season 2, like I really kind of needed to watch the whole thing to get back into the characters and see those character arcs develop in like, you know, Tilly and Ash and Burnham and just all those interrelationships everybody. that they had. Yeah, yeah. It, I mean, it was everybody. Um, but then even just watching this episode, like not because I, I could have watched the whole thing over again, but I just didn't have the time. So I just watched the two parter and I was yeah. like, oh, I'm already I'm like, my, my mindset is right, right back into these characters because they're so good and yeah. so well acted. I was like, oh, I'm, I'm like I'm I'm welling up because like the first the first half, like the first episode, and I didn't appreciate this until this rewatch, and maybe it was just time away and, and time to reflect. Like that whole first episode, that that the first of the two-parter is like 45 minutes of goodbyes, yeah. right? Is it's everybody saying goodbye. In addition to ramping up to the big fight that we see in part two but it was like okay burnham does all her goodbyes and then Sarek and amanda come in and they say their goodbyes and then spock says their goodbyes and then the crew says hey burnham we're not we're not leaving you we're going with you and uh it's like oh and now, and now pike's got to do all of his goodbyes and it's like oh man this is just wow. like one i mean it was it wasn't like it wasn't tedious yeah. it was just like an emotional hammer hitting you over and over again. it's like here's this big heavy goodbye here's this big heavy goodbye and then and then they hit you over the head with all the action in uh, in part two plus all the drama on top of that so it was just amazingly well paced and um i am gonna go i want to watch it again now <laughs> after we're done with the show i want to go watch it again because there's just to, so many nuances to pick up on
0: yeah and to be honest like you know a lot of these you know uh, when you get into a tv analysis you know you find the a plot you find the b plot and a lot of times the c or even d plot for Star Trek, you know, for Discovery season two has been the repairing of the romance between uh, Colber and Stamets. And it's just kind of, oh, they pass each other in the hallway or they pass each other in the mess hall. And there's a weird, there's an awkward look between them or something like that. And you just mentioned the goodbyes. We get a bunch of very sweet goodbyes. And then we get a bittersweet goodbye of like, I'm moving on, Mm -hmm. you know. Wherever you end up, I hope you're happy, you know. And I I, and I wish you the best. And it's just like, and it's it's very touching, but at the same time, just heartbreaking. Uh, Was there any one particular goodbye in that first episode? Uh, You know what? First of all, because I feel like we're getting deep. Uh, (laughs) Before we get too much further, let's get to this week's recap. (laughs) Brought to you in part by our Patreon supporters. Rev J, Jerry Antimano, Cosmic Crit, Kitty B, David Willett, and Ed Milner.
1: Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. There is a battle coming. The odds are
0: not in our favor.
1: Captain Pike has always had faith that we play a part in some grand
0: design. All of you. We'll face your destinies with bravery and honor. I wish I had his certainty. Nine more enemy vessels just dropped out of warp. Prepare for battle! It's time. Discovery escapes to rendezvous with Enterprise. The Discovery crew is evacuated onto the other ship, and they initiate the Discovery's self-destruct sequence. But the Sphere data takes control of Discovery's systems and shuts it down. Sucks! It also defends itself from torpedoes. Great. Burnham proposes the time crystal be used to take Discovery itself to the future, where Control can't get to it, and plans to wear a copy of her mother's suit to lead the ship there. Pike agrees and resumes command of Enterprise to keep Control distracted. A new signal appears, leading Discovery and Enterprise to the planet Zahia, which is ruled by Tilly's friend and brilliant engineer, Poe. How convenient. Poe helps Stamets, Tilly, and Reno prep the suit and Time Crystal for the journey. Some of Discovery's crew choose to stay with Burnham, as does Georgiou, while Pike makes Saru acting captain. And there was much rejoicing. As the Section 31 fleet arrives, the suit and Time Crystal are finalized, and Discovery and Enterprise prepare for battle. (laughs) And then... This is Captain Pike. We have one job. Protect Commander Burnham until she reaches her target. Section 31 is in our way. Get it done. In five, four, three, two, mark. Go, Michael, now! (laughs) Tyler retrieves the Klingon fleet to assist while Saru's sister, Sarana, arrives with Ba'ul fighters after receiving a farewell message from Saru. Uh,
1: There was a firefight!
0: Stamets is seriously injured and is cared for by Culber. A Section 31 torpedo penetrates Enterprise without detonating, and Cornwell seals off the surrounding area which prevents further damage when a secondary detonation kills her. (laughs) Troll, in the body of Leland, boards Discovery and is defeated when Giorgio magnetizes the nanites in his body, allowing Section 31's fleet to be destroyed. In the suit, Burnham travels to the past and sets the five signals that led them to this point. She then sets a sixth for Discovery to follow as she travels forward 930 years and promises to set a seventh when they arrive. So you're free Thursday then? The Enterprise crew tell Starfleet that Discovery was destroyed in the battle and are ordered to never speak of it or the crew again, on Spock's recommendation to prevent another incident like Control. Tyler is placed in command of Section 31. Great. Months later, Enterprise detects the seventh signal as it begins a strange new adventure. And there was much rejoicing. Okay. So now that we're through the recap, uh, yeah, I want to ask you, uh, we were talking about relationships before we, before we started the recap. And I wanted to Mm -hmm. ask you like, if any of these goodbyes hit for you, was there one goodbye that hit you a little extra that really kind of, oh, that's, oh, that's the one it's like, I'm not crying. You're crying. You know, one of those (laughs) did did any of those goodbyes do it for you? you? You know, what's
1: fascinating is, um, uh, in the in the first part of the two parter, when uh, when 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 Stamets and uh, Culber are are they, they meet up in the engineering room and and you know Culber or uh, Stamets is busy getting ready everything ready and and Culber comes up and says look when the Enterprise comes I'm leaving and and they have that that really they it's a goodbye but they don't say goodbye but the, the, it's really hard and awkward but there was so much emotion in that scene that that really got me emotionally welled up. And I was like, oh, man, that's such a great, a great scene, a great moment. But I think that was really set up for me to when Ash and uh, Burnham say goodbye, Mm. because because like the first few times I watched the the series, I wasn't too sure about Ash and Burnham. That that, that relationship didn't feel right to me for some reason. It took a while for it to grow on me, for me to kind of get what those two characters were trying to do. And um, I mean, what I thought was amazing is is how honest they were with each other. And I think the first time, like in 2017, when the episode when the series first came out, um, it was like, wow, these characters, this dialogue is so real, and it's like they are so mature and honest. And like, if more people could talk like this to each other, it would be a whole different world, right? But um, well, that that, that scene between Ash and and Burnham, where they're saying, "Oh, you know," when, when Burnham realizes, "Oh, Ash, you're not coming." You're not coming with me, are you? This is it. This is this is the end. This is goodbye. And she like she turns to leave and then there's that beat and then she comes back and, and you know they have their last kiss or whatever. Um, but I think I think that scene hit me more than it had ever hit me before. And I think partly because the 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 sta and Culver scene kind of primed the pump to some extent. Yeah. and then that really hit me. And of course, from there, then you learn that the you know the crew's gonna stay with Burnham, even though she didn't want them to, but they they're like, you know we're we're doing it because this is you know love is love, and uh, we're mm-hmm. going. Um, so I think I think um the Ash and Burnham scene really hit me. I, I was surprised that it hit me as hard as it did, um because it hadn't hit me in that way in previous rewatches, partly because I just I didn't quite rock that whole ash burnham relationship until you know more recently um how about you was there one that really pulled pulled you in
0: uh you know and it's weird to think about this um i've I've mentioned on the show before i i have a law enforcement background and Mm -hmm. um i also have a a martial arts background so there's something about the you know everyone you know coming to attention and at ease and Mm -hmm. i I think pike with burnham there on the bridge Mm -hmm. and him saying eyes up eyes up for burnham uh, and yeah. eyes up for commander burnham and uh and her it's that it's that formal it's that formal goodbye but mm-hmm. you can see everybody is trying their hardest to keep keep it inside it's yeah. okay everything's gonna be fine like i i mm-hmm. that hits for me, that hits for me a lot because i i remember being in formations like that i remember being mm-hmm. in uniform i remember those types of things i remember I remember my Academy graduation day. I don't know that I've told this story on the, on the show before, but it was, I'm going to do my best not to cry, when <laughs> all right, man. but it's all um, I remember our graduation day. It was uh, from our department. We only have one Academy for the entire state, but, um, it was me and three other guys from our department, from our jurisdiction, uh, who were graduating that day. And uh graduation's open to the public. And most of the time it's you know, your chief, your commanding staff, your family come to, you know, see you walk across the stage. They pin the, you know, pin the badge, the whole thing. Um, there was one person in attendance there who was associated with our jurisdiction, and it was the wife of a fallen officer. Um, his name was Russ Sorrow. And um, and I went up to her and I thanked her. I thanked her yeah. for coming. I said, uh-huh. I'm I'm gonna do my best. Yeah. I'll do my best. Wow. And um I said, uh yeah, I told her I'd do my best. And she said, please be careful. Mm-hmm. And I'll never I'll never forget it. I'll never forget the look on her face, the tone in her voice, and oh man. It's I mean, I've been off the forest now for quite quite a few years, but Right. I, I can still see it as clear as day and you know that it's that whole and when she said it I was like all right Davis keep it together keep it together mm-hmm. say thank you mm-hmm. shake her hand and then politely excuse yourself and go somewhere right.
1: <laughs> yeah that's powerful yeah. yeah thank you for
0: sharing that oh no it's, I, I appreciate it man it's 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 rare that I get to <laughs> share a lot of these things I, I keep most of it bottled up most of the time
1: yeah. yeah but it's all right man let it out it's all good
0: um so talking about goodbyes uh with this uh, i kind of and this kind of gets into a little bit of the stats section so i'll hold off on a, mm-hmm. on a little bit of it but sure the other thing that really struck me you know that poise that calm in the face of certain death which we see pike do a lot hell when he grabs mm-hmm. the time crystal in the episode just before this two-parter Right. You see it fall away for a second and he is horrified at his future, but then you mm-hmm. see him kind of recite, okay, this is, this is who we are. We believe in, we, we believe in what's right. And we're going to do the right thing. And he, mm-hmm. he Reaffirming to himself. And then he grabs that crystal and, you know, and his fate is sealed. Mm-hmm. We actually get to see a moment like that in Admiral Cornwell, mm-hmm. where she is doing her dead level best there by herself there with, Unichin riley and they're with pike and you know the needs of the many yeah. you know and she's look go back into the turbo lift there's a manual there's a manual lever here i'll seal it in mm-hmm. you know i'll seal the blast door and and not only does she seal the blast door she kind of she gives pike one last look but then she turns around and goes to parade rest yeah you know there in front of the photon torpedo and i was just like what a Badass. <laughs> mm-hmm. I absolutely adore Admiral Cornwell. And I've yeah, said it before. Absolutely. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. I hope I'm out there, you know, I, I've been lucky enough to talk with some of the folks from IDW about the comics. And God, I hope somebody, somebody pulls the trigger on an Admiral Cornwell miniseries or something. Yeah. She was such a great character. Mm-hmm. Um, anything. Uh, about that or anything about the second part of I, gosh the second part of the two-parter is it's <laughs> the, just the so rafters, much right man yeah it's so great yeah i, I think I, I really i really appreciate what
1: you're saying todd about how um like pike and Cornwall. i mean even i mean really all the characters in this in this in this two-parter really exemplified the very best of what a person could be right um yeah. like the the self-sacrifice the selflessness the the um the looking out for your fellow person i mean these are all values that we are in short supply of in this uh in this day and age in the 21st century which is unfortunate but yeah. uh, I, there are part there are pockets out there right of of people doing good and, and doing the best they can um but uh not to proselytize. but we'll, we'll get back to star trek <laughs> 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 to but to see that to see that on screen, to see the selflessness and to see the willingness to sacrifice yourself for the benefit of other people. Like I mean, obviously we've seen it with Spock um in 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 Rathicon. But to see it from Pike and to see it from Burnham and to see it from Jean- just one after another in this in this two-parter, it was like, wow, this is this is the best of Starfleet, right? These these are the these are the 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 best officers that could possibly be. They're in a horrible situation. They're they're coming out of that unbelievably imaginably horrible war. With yep. the with the Klingons, yeah, and and like, and we're getting that we're getting texture of that now in Strange New Worlds, right? Where we just found out from uh, M- M'benga mm-hmm. that a hundred a hundred million people, a hundred million Federation citizens died in that war, and like like we can't. Process that we can't imagine how big of a number that is, right? Yeah. And like, if you could, if you could try to put it into some sort of perspective, like there's 300 million people in America right now, right? So it just take a third of America wiped away, gone, yeah, it's completely gone. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, exactly. Like if you're if you're at work or in your, you're in your school classroom or something, one third of your class is just gone. Yep. or one third of your of your office is gone it's just like walking walking around your town or walk around your city a third of everybody's gone like we i can't fathom that like that is a number that is too big for me to comprehend right and i'm a historian i know how a horrible war is i understand the the, the casualties that have happened yeah. to some to some level um i mean obviously people who serve see it in a whole different way which i totally respect um but but for for them for starfleet to have gone through that war and then to get into the whole drama of the second season where they're trying to figure out what these signals are yeah. and for them still to be so strong of characters to say, this is so important. I am willing to sacrifice my life so that you can succeed or that you have a chance of succeeding. Yeah. Right. And 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 like I remember watching this episode, I had forgotten that that as soon as they were talking about the, the time suit, Pike's first reaction was make it make, you know, fabricate the suit to my specifications. And then they were all like, well, oh, wait a minute, we can't do that because the DNA is, you know, blah, 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 Burnham. Yeah. And Burnham's got to do it. And Burnham was like, uh, yeah, I, I just remember seeing that look on her face of like, I don't want to do this, but I have to do it. And it's like, you could see it in her face, like, I don't want to do it. Oh, but now I'm understanding I've, I'm the only one who can do it. I've got to do it. Yeah. And, and, and she just had to make that, be ready to make that sacrifice. And I'm like, wow. I mean, just like, how do you, how do you find that? character of people to go into the academy and to just go through Starfleet and like it's just I mean for me it's just amazing because uh, I don't think we see enough of that in our leaders today mm. that just that level of self-sacrifice it's it's, it's just so different now <laughs> right yeah. uh, but it's, it was just it was just inspiring I was inspired all over again watching these two episodes um just by the quality of people that were um, on, on on screen
0: yeah you know looking at um, looking at making the conscious decision, to sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Um, every everyone, everyone on that ship. Yeah, hell, you mm-hmm. you hear it in their letters to their loved ones. Yeah. They're all they're all losing. It, it's mm-hmm. it, it's the idea of just like the way for us to win is for all of us to lose. And it's it's one of those things where it's just shocking and heart-wrenching. You look at someone like like Saru, who knew going in that he could never return to his home planet and mm-hmm. then when he knows he has to abandon ship he can't even take these plants that he was able to save he he can't right. ta- he takes the knife he, he mm-hmm. takes the knife you know um tilly who has a horrible relationship with her mother but at the same time she's you know sacrificing that familiar that familial connection of just like hey I gotta go, I hope you're proud of me. if you're not mm-hmm. okay. and she's resigned to that of like, if you're not okay, I'm proud of me. and you know, even Tyler, and going back and looking at uh in a few episodes before before this two parter where it's revealed that his son is there on the planet with the time crystals mm-hmm. he says, yeah, I couldn't tell anybody because it would jeopardize the safety you know we just talked about the Klingon war and how many lives were lost he goes if anybody knew it would all be undone and we'd go Mm -hmm. through this whole thing all over again but I had to and I had to carry this by myself Mm -hmm. um and just yeah it's it's one sacrifice after another one sec right even we already talked about Stamets and Colbert, who Stamets is at a point where he goes I'm I'm gonna you know I'm holding on to this, but i'm i've gotta I've gotta let you go. I have to lose you mm-hmm. because I love you and it, oh man it's just it's just one thing after another um, not to mention like let's go ahead and let's figure out so shifting gears here, let's figure out where leland slash control fits in the hierarchy of Star Trek villains like first of all super creepy Mm -hmm. and secondly so his plan was dangerously close to winning like he was Mm -hmm. dangerously close to winning how do you feel Leland slash control stacks up amongst the iconic Star Trek villains from the last 57 years
1: oh man that's a great question
0: (laughs) um and I, while you think about that, I'm going to yeah. go ahead because I'm going to go ahead and say, even though I've got the 40th anniversary Funko of uh-huh. Khan Noonien Singh right here, uh-huh. I'm going to go ahead and say Khan is not the best Star Trek villain.
1: No, no, but, I, I agree. He he had revenge on his mind, and that was like one track mind. That was yeah. that was what he was after. Re- yeah,
0: and it was revenge against one dude. Like. Right. <laughs> Not a great plan. Even one of his own people is like, hey, you know, we have a Federation ship. We can mm-hmm. just go anywhere now. <laughs> um, yeah. But you know, yeah, I, I, th- I think
1: I think I think control is probably in the top. I, I mean, it, it's almost as I mean, I think the I think the Borg are probably like like especially the next generation era Borg yeah. were terrifying, yeah. like like just absolutely terrifying when you when you first see them on screen, they are like, Oh my gosh, this is just unbelievable. Um, but like you know, control had a plan and they wanted to take everything and they had the inside track I mean they they had it pretty much figured out and uh they took over Leland and they were they were wrapping up the deal there yeah. and just by you know circumstance and and, and happenstance the hero saved the day at the very last possible minute <laughs> right yeah. but yeah. um <laughs> I think um just just in terms of like um what's what's the word um just like and not even ruthless uh but just like Voracity? implacable right like, like like these they are coming and they will not stop yeah, ever Tenacity. Until, I mean, it's almost like yeah it's tenacity it's almost like the terminator right from the yeah. from the classic uh Cameron movies like this thing will not stop ever until you either kill it or until it wins and there is no middle ground and like for star trek especially for like the federation like you're always trying to find the diplomatic solution um but when you're dealing with something like leland and control there is no diploma- there is no diplomacy it's like they are going to destroy you and they are going to win that that is their that is their endgame yeah and um that that's just that makes such a I mean I don't want to say it's a one-note villain but like when you're facing such incredible insurmountable odds like like how do you how do you write your way out of that like you just got to figure it out right but um it was it was fascinating to watch and um I, I really have to admit I felt for Leland because like that is just the worst thing to happen to a person right it, it reminds oh. me of Picard right to get assimilated and know you're being assimilated and 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 to some level intellectually you must realize there's no coming back right and and like everything that you are and everything that you would be is is gone and now you're just this this automaton being controlled completely by by uh by, by control and i remember especially this episode this rewatch uh, it really hit me when saru warned the crew like when, when control uh hit the com and was going to communicate with their discovery so saru took a moment and said, "Remember, you're going to see a human face, but what you're seeing is not human. It is, it is control. Yeah. And it's like, oh, I just got this chill down my back. It was like, oh my gosh, this is horrible. <laughs> and then, and then the screen comes on. And you see Leland, but of course, it's not Leland because it's, it's actually control. And uh, like, um, having experience with with people who've who've gotten Alzheimer's, and and like you knew the person before, yeah. and 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 you can look in their eyes and they're just not there." And they're gone, and they're they're gone forever. And you just have to like find a way to continue, and, and like you know, be respectful of the person that is in front of you. But you have to you also remember who they were. And it's just a, there's that sadness of like, oh my gosh, this person was somebody, and 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 had a thing going on, but now they're just gone. Yeah. And it's just this horrible evil creature that's taken them over. Um, yeah, it's it's really powerful.
0: Yeah, I you know uh you mentioned that I, it's my my grandmother on my mom's mm-hmm. side. Had Alzheimer's, Alzheimer's yeah. and dementia, and yep. for for those who have not had someone you know in their life who has had that, it mm-hmm. it, it steals it quite literally steals the person that they were that you knew and loved mm-hmm. right in front of your eyes, and yeah. they're there, the body's there, they're walking around, talking, doing the whole thing, but that is not the person you knew, right. and it's it, it is a really tough thing to 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 witness um mm-hmm. and, and my condolences for whoever it was in your life that, that yeah that, you know that you witnessed that it is it is a hard hard thing to um to to see in a loved one or if you have to live under the same roof you know that that's that's very very difficult so um yeah, yeah it, you know when you talk about these things you know looking at Star Trek as the mirror to for our society you know the cautionary tale but also a Mm -hmm. tale of hope of like hey we could be there if we pull ourselves together if we're willing to sacrifice and then there's other times where we're like you know the mirror universe of like oh here's the other side of society as well and you're just like oh Mm -hmm. gosh that's we could be there too and you know sometimes we lean more towards one than the other Mm -hmm. um yeah it's it's Oh, it's sobering and a little terrifying and mm-hmm. uh but also still ho- hopeful for yeah. you know for the good side uh anyways i'm i'm digressing here um do you have uh anything else uh jump out at you about these about this two-parter uh before we move on
1: um i th- i i think i appreciated and i don't know if they were intentional about this but i really appreciate how much they set up in the, in the end of the, by the end of this two-parter like using it as a launching point for strange new worlds yeah but even um laying in a whole bunch of backstory for what we see in the original series and what's fascinating about it is that like as a prequel it adds so much nuance mm-hmm. that what i want to do now is i want to go watch the original series again and, and get a feel for like how did the how did the producers of discovery and the writers of discovery like, what, what threads did they build in that you can connect to the original series? Because, like, we're seeing it in Strange New Worlds yeah. very clearly. Like, they're doing a lot of stuff with Chapel and Spock and uh, and some of the other characters that are certainly building up to what we see in the original series. Um, but all of that, like, Strange New Worlds got its genesis in Discovery, especially Discovery Season 2. Because uh, that's where we see Pike and Una and um, and Spock. But even just, a, like just a, a lot of the concepts are in there. And, uh, like, they're using the war quite a bit as as backstory influencing the characters in Stranging worlds and um i've been seeing like i haven't been thinking about it because i haven't watched the original series again recently but some people are talking about how certain scenes and certain bits of dialogue in the original series hit differently now given that we understand the backstory or, or that now that we know that there's a backstory there um because for a while there like i was really having this dissonance of like how did we get from season one discovery look and feel and story to the to the bright you know colors of original series with the the three color uniforms and the bright hallways and stuff yeah. like there was a, a tonal dissonance there but now we're starting to see it come, to, come together like stranger worlds is kind of bridging that 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 link between discovery and original series so now you've inspired me now i've got to go start watching some original series season one <laughs> just to see what, what are the what are the threads that they're pulling in uh or that discovery is and stranger worlds are reaching out to to pull into to to bring it into a more cohesive whole so i'm just fascinated to see what that does
0: yeah and you know one last thing about uh you know connecting one series to another series and we briefly mentioned uh you know you mentioned you've got a lot of love for season four of enterprise i Mm -hmm. adore season four of enterprise uh I, I, you know, I don't think I've mentioned it here on the show, but, uh, you know, hats off to Manny Cotto, uh, yeah. you know, uh, recently departed, yeah. uh, you know, God rest him. Uh, Manny did such a great job uh, when he took the reins over as showrunner for season mm-hmm. four of really making the effort to consciously connect um, that show enterprise, not only to uh, TOS, but also some long reaching threads to legacy trek tng Mm -hmm. deep space nine voyager and uh you know gosh uh, there were so many things working against enterprise a lot of it coming from upn uh but that's a that's a story for a different day but (laughs) gosh you know i i really hate that manny's uh you know unfortunately enterprise there's some love for it out there for sure Mm -hmm. um but on the whole, it's still largely overlooked. Uh, mm-hmm. and I really hope people, you know, especially with the love that was given to Enterprise in the Strange New World's Lower Decks crossover. I hope people go and, you know, hey, what was this all about? Because, you, like you said, Scott Bakula. And don't forget, we've got a whole big cast of characters that really they were there long enough long enough for us to fall in love with them. And then yeah. they were gone. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Hoshi Sato, the Greek chorus, we, we, you know, mm-hmm. she is, br- she is not an astronaut, <laughs> but she is there on this ship doing the thing, Travis right. Mayweather. I would ri- I am ride or die with Travis Mayweather. I mm-hmm. love Travis Mayweather. Um, mm-hmm. anyways, uh, but one other thing that I wanted to mention about this two parter and specifically the second part, as we, as we start to wrap up with the the big battle when that whole thing starts popping off it really starts popping off mm-hmm. and we get um we get cameos from three characters who are instrumental in the federation pulling this one out saru's sister sarana mm-hmm. po uh who comes in and helps them uh you know figure out the time crystal and you know charging it up but also hops in a shuttle and starts blasting fools you know and Mm -hmm. then the entry of Chancellor uh bringing Mm -hmm. that big ship and clearing out a bunch of fools with with that whole ship um Mm -hmm. I love you know I love these strong women like Mm -hmm. you know that was one thing that uh you know when the franchise started that wasn't as played up as much you know we Mm -hmm. got a little bit of it but now you know throughout legacy trek we saw the women you know really taking uh more center stage Mm -hmm. and then here with discovery obviously michael burnham being the uh number one on the call sheet she is she is our protagonist we are seeing this story unfold through her eyes but then we see uh you know these three women who are instrumental in this battle uh and you know and again i already shared my love for admiral cornwell just yeah oh badass of badasses um right. any thoughts about how the women are portrayed here in this in this two-parter
1: oh i think it's fantastic i mean there's, and there's so many to choose from right i mean you've yeah. got you got, yeah. you got burnham you got Giorgio, you've got uh um uh, Khan you've got Detmer. <laughs> I mean, yeah, Reno. I mean, there, there is no shortage of no shortage really, really of strong awesome
0: women, <laughs> really strong
1: characters on the yeah. show, and it's like it's just, it's just a it's just a cornucopia of uh, opportunities to watch them, yeah. and and they all get really good. um I, I mean, like the writers really served all of them really well. They all had their beats. They all had their moments. They weren't just like uh you know window dressing or bridge dressing or something. They're, they they weren't the supernumerary doing one little thing with one little line. Uh, which I think plagued like the original series especially I think some of the uh, some of the actors got got short shrift like I think uh you know of course you know Uhura, Sulu Chekhov and uh Scotty to some extent were kind of the second runs to the trio yes. and um I think even though even now going into season five we still don't know enough about these characters at least we had an opportunity to get to know them a little bit better than we might have otherwise because like I think they all had some great scenes but I just I mean being as huge into you know, diversity, equality, uh, equity, inclusion—all that stuff—I appreciate so much what Discovery did to draw a lens and bring even more representation to the screen. I know that there's a there's a part of the fan base that doesn't like that, but you know what, it's not for you. So right. go go re, go back and watch the original series. Remember what it means, and then come back to Star Trek and and, uh, and enjoy it. But uh, um, I, there's just so many great female characters on the show um or you know women strong women like really powerful meaningful women they're not just there yeah. uh, like like uh, what was what's the what's the test you're supposed to do like the Bechtel test yeah like Bechtel they just test, they, yeah. They, blow, they blow the Bechtel test away because they're not talking about guys they're, they're talking about the the drama in the moment right right, uh, right. it's just uh, and like you said though but they brought in the supporting characters too they brought in Sir uh Serana and poe and um even amanda right i mean those the, these are all very strong women oh yeah uh, very strong characters in, in in their own right and it's like oh yeah there's just like there's just so much to watch and like all the interplays and the relationships and just there's just so much going on there's so many layers to the first couple seasons of discovery that they unpacked over the course of um those two seasons it's just impressive it's so impressive yeah um, i don't know if that answered your question or not but uh no was it perfect. was just uh very inspiring to see that that little and like I want my son like my son's seven and uh, he's a little young for Discovery right now but as he gets a little older I want him to watch it so that he can uh, truly understand like I did back in 1977 when I saw Star Wars for the first time and I saw how powerful a woman Princess Leia was and 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 that like that was really formative for me as a kid because I was like I never had the opportunity to to get into that mindset of like only only white guys can be my heroes right it's not just the I don't know, shining armor it's not just Luke Skywalker it's, it, it's it's anybody can be a hero even even uh you know especially uh, you know Princess Leia Carrie Fisher was just so strong and powerful in that movie and I want to make sure my son understands that too like literally anybody can be a hero and anybody can be someone to look up to right you just don't have to find someone who looks like you to look up to it can be anybody um and i think that's one of the reasons that that i want him to watch ds9 too because i think uh uh, benjamin cisco is an amazing character to emulate and to be inspired by because uh, he feels so real right he he has had loss and he's a single parent and he's dealing with this whole thing on bajor in addition to raising his son and oh by the way you're also the the emissary of the prophets and so you got that to deal with plus your starfleet and plus right. you, you're angry at picard right there's just all this stuff going on right yeah um so i just i really appreciate deep meaningful real characters and i think when you're know, just going back to your what you're saying about all the strong women on the show they're, they're all real they all have reality to them that is grounded and um they're not just like uh caricatures on the on the on this on the screen right there, there right. there's actually depth some depth to them and hats off to the writers and hats off to the actors especially for having not a huge amount of material to work with and just making the most of it on on screen so it's just really impressive
0: yeah and you know folks we we do this every week where we uh you know we shower these uh this these characters in this franchise with so much love and praise uh but you know as we do every week uh, when we take a look at what we see on screen, we also have to remember that there's a bunch of people behind the camera uh, making this stuff happen too. So as we do every week, lovingly, we ask the question, who do we blame? This episode was written by Michelle Paradise, Jenny LeMay, and Alex Kurtzman. Now, Michelle Paradise, her last episode that she worked on was season two, episode nine, Project Daedalus, which is directed by Jonathan Frakes, aka Two Takes Frakes, aka William T. Riker, which we discussed with Computer Resume podcast executive producer Kat Davis back on episode 112. And nice. uh, J- yeah, yeah. It's, uh, you know, my wife doesn't think she has a good uh, voice for podcasts, but I've gotten more a lot of compliments on her when she comes on. Jenny Lumet, of course, uh, daughter of legendary director Sidney Lumet in the chronology her last work was the Short Trek Season 1, Episode 1, Runaway, that she wrote with Alex Kurtzman. And we discussed Runaway on Episode 100 with uh, some idiot who thinks he knows everything. It was me, <laughs> by the way. Uh, <laughs> Shocking. I, and uh, this episode was directed by Olatunde Osunsami. Uh, and as always, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, correctly, uh, whose last work directing was season two, episode three, Point of Light, which we discussed mm-hmm. with our good friend Ren Sims back on episode 105. And the guest stars, we've actually showered a lot of them with praise already. But in case you forgot, returning, we've got Mary Chifo as Lorel, Mia Kirshner as Amanda, uh, oh, Tignataro one of my favorite comedians of all time, Tig Notaro mm-hmm. as Jet Reno, Ethan Peck as Spock, Rebecca Romaine as Una Chin Riley, Alan Van Sprang as Leland slash Control, and Rachel and as Nan. And I want to give a couple of big shout outs here to two more guest stars, Yadira Guevara Prip as Poe. Uh, she's so wonderful, so watchable. Uh, to be honest, I, I hope they bring her back in some capacity, maybe on mm-hmm. strange new worlds. Uh, who knows? Maybe. Um, but, you know, uh, after discovery, she's been in five episodes of supernatural and 11 episodes of the Apple TV series. C with Jason. Wow. Mamoa. Yeah. And then we've got uh, one of my favorites. I've not held back my love for this character portrayed wonderfully. Uh, by her actor, Jane Brooke as Admiral Cornwell, given her final appearance here in the franchise, going out like a badass. You know, Jane Brooke is uh, still out there, still working. Her IMDb doesn't have anything after uh, uh, after Discovery, but, uh, you know, hopefully she is enjoying her time with her family. I'm sure she's getting work doing something because she's too good to just... <laughs> To just let lay still. So uh hopefully she's uh continuing to enjoy a very uh fruitful and uh prosperous uh career. Uh Jane Brooke, thank you so much for a wonderful, wonderful um set of performances as Admiral Cornwell. Uh, but unfortunately, 86 Cornwell, thank you so much. Uh we really, really appreciate it. So Jim, uh, as we do every every episode, we ask the question, is this essential viewing? If somebody is sitting down and working their way through the Star Trek franchise for the very first time and they come to this two-parter, such sweet sorrow, is this a must-see episode or is this one they can skip for one reason or another? Uh, well, I mean, such
1: as I'm such a Star Trek fan, I think it's essential viewing. I think especially if you're getting into strange new worlds. Uh, You've got to watch Discovery, you've got to watch Discovery season two, but to to really understand all the nuances of season two, you've got to watch season one uh, to pick up all that character, all that character stuff that carried over. Uh, So is this essential viewing? 100%. No doubt. I I would, uh, I would absolutely say that all day long. If nothing else to say, like, if you love Star Trek, and you love great acting and great writing, or maybe you're just a tech nerd and you love the special effects and the pew pew like this season's got pew pew all day long especially in that finale oh, yeah. um so um but if you like good star trek like good meaningful character interactions and story um this is it like it's so good
0: yeah you're absolutely right you know and as we've been talking about discovery with discovery being the first truly serialized star trek it's really kind of hard to be like ah eh, you can skip this one you know if you if you've been watching discovery all along i don't see how you how i don't see how you stop before this one mm-hmm. um and especially like we've been saying pretty much this entire episode pick a character if you're if you're following any particular character's track if, they're, if they appear in this episode, which is pretty much everybody, um, yeah, you, you got to watch these because we get some really, really big things happening here with essentially every crew member. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it is absolutely, absolutely must see. Uh, so anyways, Jim, thank you so much for coming on, carving out the time uh, to sit here and nerd out with me for a little <laughs> while. Uh, do you have any parting thoughts about these episodes the series the franchise your experience on the computer resume podcast any parting thoughts before we start to wrap it up
1: yeah i'll just say this has been a great experience todd thank you so much for having me on the show it's super exciting um i didn't realize until i was talking to you right before we started the show that this is the end of your end of your season and, yeah. uh, and, and gosh what a, what an honor to help help you do the big send-off here for your uh, for your finale as we're watching a big finale of discovery you now you're getting the big finale of your show so i am i am honored and humbled that you uh, that you called out to me to get me on here uh so thank you so much for that really appreciate it um i think um you know we were talking about how the self sacrifice that we see so so present from so many characters in this in this last two parter it it really exemplifies um all the best of what starfleet could be and what what star trek really means right the, like you're seeing it front and center on this entire two-party you're seeing the diversity of all the characters you're seeing the inclusion you're seeing the teamwork you're seeing the self-sacrifice like all these great values um or like if you needed to introduce somebody to like what the heck is star trek watch this two-part like don't even watch everything before just watch this two-parter and see what these characters are doing and how much these characters mean to each other and and like what what matters and what are they willing to give up to help somebody else out right and so i think like if i was going to introduce somebody to, to star trek as a totality of a franchise i would i would have them watch emissary the pilot to ds9 because that that whole interaction between Cisco and the Prophets is like peak Star Trek, like explaining what humanity is and explaining what linear time is. Like that's a big concept, right? And that's just amazing. So you show them that. And then you show them this and you say this is what the best of star trek, uh, star Flight, Starfleet can be and what the best of star trek is all the different things that are wrapped up in it in my opinion anyway yeah. um those three episodes if you don't like those three episodes then star trek's probably not for you <laughs> right <laughs> even though even though like you, you alluded to earlier in the show there are 11 seasons or there are 11 series of star trek now there are 13 movies there is a star trek for everybody it's yeah. so like if, if you're one of those fans like who likes to you know poo-poo on discovery or or you don't like strange new worlds or whatever watch the shows that you love and and enjoy those like it's okay you don't have to like everything right there's so much star trek it's like a um, star trek is a buffet at this point like whatever your favorite buffet restaurant is right you might go there and maybe you love the roast beef and you love the potatoes and the gravy, but you never touch the shrimp and you never touch the crab legs or whatever. that's okay. It's it's someone's gonna eat it and someone loves it, yeah. but you don't have to eat all of it. Like you're not required to. Just eat the buffet parts that you like and just let other people enjoy the rest of it. Right. Don't don't not to not to not to swear, but you know, don't sh- on somebody else's enjoyment right just enjoy what you enjoy and let them enjoy it it's all star trek it's all one big family so just you know be willing to make the table bigger and uh and let more people enjoy it so that's my thoughts anyway Uh, how about you what are your thoughts todd
0: oh gosh you know I, i you're absolutely right uh you know love looking at something that promotes so much hope and hope across a wide spectrum of issues you know anything that exists that could potentially be better is promoted through star trek be it um social interactions uh, our approach to science and technology our approaches to philosophy diplomacy uh, the list goes on and on and on and so when i hear that something that is so inherently good um you know and promoting things that are inherently good is doing something fun uh like a musical episode and two weeks you know two weeks before it even premiered people were hating it i was like first of all (laughs) can we maybe let the credits roll before you start to hate it (laughs) right Right. Um, I, have never understood, you know, I'm, I'm on another podcast where, uh, we we cover cult and genre film history and, uh, it's called cinema shock. It's a lot of fun. Um, but we pull some of these one star reviews from these websites and just start reading and you'd be surprised at how many people are like, Oh, I got 10 minutes in and turned it off. I got 15 mm-hmm. minutes, 20 minutes in, I turned it off. It's like, well, then your your uh, your opinions invalid. Sorry. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Like,
0: you know, nobody sets out to make anything bad. <laughs> and let's be honest, Strange New Worlds has a pretty good track record. Mm-hmm. In fact, all of New Trek has a pretty good track record. Yeah. Um, hell, let's not forget, Prodigy won an Emmy. Like, right? I, these, yeah. Th- these things are really, really great. Um, so if if I had another guest on who, who, who said, if your personality is hating things, get a new personality, that's not a personality. Don't, don't, there's enough things in this life, in this world that are going to be negative and Mm -hmm. try to keep you down. We don't need another one (laughs) And, and nobody needs to invite that element into their characteristics of their personality uh you know let's let's all let's all be better people let's Mm -hmm. all be willing to sacrifice and if we can along the way let's have some fun Mm -hmm. (laughs) i've always said look if we're going to reach the stars we have to reach sideways first because nobody gets there alone so Mm -hmm. you know reach sideways and maybe we'll all get there eventually yeah Um, Yeah,
1: and, and even not just reach sideways right but reach down and pull up Sure. Right? Like whoever's, whoever's, whoever's below you or behind you, you know, help them out, bring them, yeah. bring them along to
0: bring them along for the ride. For for those who are yeah. able. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, and it's not easy. It's not, it's nobody mm. said it's easy, <laughs> mm. but yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Jim, this has been an absolute pleasure talking with you here at the end of season six of the computer resume podcast. And I just want to take a few minutes to thank uh, the following people, for helping make this season, uh, I have a feeling I'm going to be saying this at the end of every season, our best season yet. Writer of Con the Musical, Brent Black. Star Trek superfan, Kevin Hebenstreit, The Weird owl of the Star Trek universe, Ian Starwrecked Ramsey. Co-host of Nerdpreneur podcast, Frank Bailey. Our good friend, Ren Sims. Director of TrekFest in Riverside, Iowa, Travis Rigan. The absolutely fabulous record-breaker, Flip Kiki. From IDW Publishing, group editor, Heather Antos. And artist extraordinaire, J.K. Woodward. Cosmic Crits, Drew Burris. From the National Wrestling Alliance, the NWA, Gary Horn. Our Cinema Shock co-host, film historian, whether he likes it or not, Justin Bishop. Computer Resume Podcast's executive producer and love of my life, Kat Davis. Actor, writer, director, buttery shoulders, Matt Jennings, Star Trek cosplay comedian and author, Danny Rydell, comedian Patrick Cunningham, and of course today's guest, the lovely and talented Jim Johnson from Modifius Entertainment. In three weeks, on October 23rd, we will be joined by former USS Enterprise engineer, now author, Michael LeBlanc to discuss IDW's Star Trek Discovery Aftermath, which is available at your local comic book retailer and at idwpublishing.com. So Jim, uh, tell everybody a little bit more about Modifius and Star Trek Adventures and where people can find it, purchase it, play it, and live it and love it.
1: Yeah sure thing. So uh, Medifius Entertainment's been a, is a UK based company. They've been around for 10 years. Uh, you can find them on medifius.net or medifius.us. There's two web stores, one in America, one in one in the UK. Uh, they're based in the UK. Um, all their games are available online. Uh, at your local retailer, et cetera, they they do a lot of different games, a lot of very diverse uh, range of RPGs and tabletop minis. They have uh, Fallout: uh, Wasteland Warfare, based on the Fallout uh, series of video games. That's a miniatures game. Uh, there's uh, Elder Scrolls: Call to Arms, that's based on the, uh, uh, of course, Elder Scrolls: Skyrim. Uh, that's a minis-based game. Uh, of course, Star Trek Adventures. Uh, they have the Dune license, so we have a Dune RPG. Uh, we're just now releasing uh, Dreams of Machines, which is a new um, original IP for Modiphius, which is exciting. Uh, that's being released at Gen Con this, this year. Uh, so by the time this episode airs, it will have already released. Uh, but for the purposes of right now, like literally it's Wednesday night, it, Gen Con's tomorrow morning. So it's going to it's gonna launch tomorrow morning, which is pretty exciting. Uh, a bunch of other IPs. Uh, Modiphius is also in, a, in an interestingly kind of unique position to where we uh, the company has enough infrastructure and connections that that Modiphius does a lot of distribution for other game companies so you know getting their work into the distribution channels too a- a- again chris is a huge um huge proponent of supporting other people and getting them into the game industry and so you'll you'll notice that Modiphius, like their website they sell a lot of other companies games. And that's because they're helping distribute those games to get them into a wider market. So like we don't, um, we don't own the I- or you know, we don't manage the IPs for some of those lines, but we just help distribute them. And so that's, that's really awesome. Uh, and then as far as Star Trek Adventures, um, there is a I mean the game has been out for seven years now, we have the um, I am fortunate to see that we have a very healthy fan base that is very supportive of each other um, to the point where like if people are asking questions, the fans will answer the questions before myself or Nathan can get online to go look at them. Right. Uh, But we're uh, there's a official official media discord. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram, um, all the social media networks and stuff. There's an unofficial Facebook group. uh, If you want to get to know more about the game and get to know the fans, uh, subreddit, all that stuff. Um, I'm on social media all the time supporting the game, uh, mostly because I'm just a super fan of Star Trek. And a fan of the game, even though I'm also the project manager and I'm responsible for it, um, I still try to connect with the fans as often as I can Uh, just because I love the game and I love to see what they're doing with it. Uh, Like, uh, you know, I'm at the point now where we are literally every product we release is a new toolkit for gamers to do something with cool at their table. And like, I'm giddy every time we release something new because it's like, oh, what are you going to do with these tools that we create that we spent a year and a half creating? Like, what are you going to do with it? Because, um, you know, I've told fans before, like, in the middle of the night, when I'm tired of working on a, on the next product, if I'm tired of editing, or I need a break from proofreading or something, you know, I'll pull up Twitch, or I'll pull up YouTube, or I'll pull up you know one of the other social networks, because I know that somewhere in the world is a group playing the game, either live or they've recorded it. And I can just sit there for half an hour just watching them do their thing whether it's in german or polish or in a language i can't speak or understand i'm like i can still see there at the table they got this the gm screen they got the dice they're having fun they're they're doing a, a scenario that i've probably touched in one way or another either edited or at least shepherded through the production process and that is such an amazing gift to to see that right i mean i try to make it a gift to give to people to to play with but to get that feedback back um, it's something we couldn't have done 30 years ago because we didn't have the internet, right? right. Um, but it, it's just like, no, like the fans, I, I want you to know that we're watching and we're loving everything you do. And and you are driving us to do better every product. We, we want to do more cool stuff, more cool stuff, more cool stuff. Like what are the fans going to do with this one, et cetera? Um, so yeah, so go to modifius.net. Um, If you're in most of the world, if you're in the US or Canada, go to Modiphius.us and that'll save you on shipping if you're if you're buying stuff from us, Uh, but your local friendly game stores should have our products if they don't have them email Modiphius because we will either tell you what distributor you should be ordering from, um, or you can order direct from Modiphius so uh, you you can make that happen if you're if you own a store or something. you know, to find me on social media, I'm on all the social media for Star Trek Adventures. I'm not hard to find. Uh, if you want to go to my Twitter, it's scribe underscore um, I got my YouTube channel is the same same thing. I'm running a bunch of um, actual plays right now on some of the new products we're releasing. Um, and if that's not enough Star Trek Adventures for you um I'm the co-host on a weekly podcast called continuing conversations Um, my co-host Michael Dismuke and I do that every week we're we're heading toward our 100th episode which is hard to imagine I didn't think we'd be going at it this long Uh, but every every week we talk about something Star Trek Adventures related whether it's a new product or we bring in the fans to talk about their experiences or we bring in a writer or a production person or just somebody involved in Star Trek who's either worked on the game or related to the game or something. Uh, we we just have been extraordinarily fortunate. I, I think we talked earlier about how the Star Trek family just keeps expanding the more people you meet. And we've been extraordinarily grateful that people are willing to take some time to talk to us on our, on our little podcast about Star Trek and Star Trek adventures. And uh, it's just it's just been a great ride. And so there is a lot of Star Trek adventures like material outside of the game that you can get into if you're curious about the game. Uh, don't hesitate to ask questions because the fan base is super knowledgeable and they are super willing to bring you along for the ride. Uh, and, you know, as a project manager, like I can't put a value on that because it's, it's priceless to, to have a fan base that is into your game and is supporting other players. It, it makes me feel like what D&D felt like back in the early 80s when we didn't have the Internet, we, we barely had conventions. Um, and all we had was like our little local groups at our local game store or local comic shop. Actually, the game stores weren't even a thing yet because there weren't enough games. Right, right. right. It was your comic. It was your it was your comic book store that may have sold a couple of Warhammer minis, and all- and also had D anD D. But also back then it was Toys R Us. Like Toys R Us was selling D anD D in the store which is unheard of right Right. but uh you know we we found the gamers and we latched onto each other and we built this little ecosystem and we like that we drew you know created new gamers one by one really grassroots kind of thing right until things blew up you know in the in the the 90s Mm. um and i kind of feel like that's where star trek adventures is right now is like we're we're growing the, the community like one person at a time getting them into it showing them that there are different games out there um, You know, not that there's anything wrong with the the 2d20 or the, the regular d20 system. You know, fifth edition, it's a great system. Uh, but there's other options. There's so many other games out there now. I mean, especially with the uh, the indie RPG movement on on itch.io and uh, other indies. It's just like this is a golden age for gaming. And not not so much Star Trek, but just like gaming in general. If you're if you're a gamer, like there's just so much stuff that you can play with right now, and uh, it's just an exciting time to be. So I, I think that covers all my stuff um as far as um if i could shout out a charity yes please. i think uh, if if you want to call out a charity that's doing amazing work uh tabletop gamers g-a-y-m-e-r-s uh they're they're a big presence at like gen con and some of the other events they're really promoting uh the lgbtqia communities in gaming and really trying to support diversity and inclusion in gaming which let's be honest you know has a history of being very very male and very white back in the day and i'm so thrilled to see that that has changed over the years uh to where like the current young generation is like way more way more diverse than we ever could have imagined and it's just super inspiring to see that so uh tabletop gamers if you have some spare uh, donation money by all means they're they're a good organization um uh i'm really proud to be part of that and uh, proud that they're doing some amazing work.
0: Wonderful. And do me a favor, hit hit them one more time with Modifius's web address and their social media handle.
1: Yeah, you bet. So Modifius is um on Twitter at, at Modifius, And I'm pretty sure it's at Modifius on Instagram. I, I don't know Instagram, so I, I'm not sure how they do their little tags or whatever. But if you look for like Modifius by itself is a pretty a pretty unique name. So I think if you put Modifius into any search uh, search engine, you'll you'll find the Instagram, the Twitter, the Discord, um, the websites, etc. The the websites are modiphius.net and modiphius.us, and that's m o d i p h i u s .dot u s or .dot net. Um, either one will get you there. And then, of course, you know Twitter, uh, all the social medias and stuff as well.
0: And I am at Mr. Tade Davis on all of the socials. From all of us at the Computer Resume Podcast, thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you in Ten Forward. like, rate, review, and share on all your favorite platforms. Feel free to send us your subspace transmissions to Computer Resume Podcasts at gmail.com or at Computer Resume on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. The Computer Resume Podcast was created and produced by Mr. Todd A. Davis. Our logo was designed by Will Martin and Justin Bishop. The opening theme was produced by Justin Bishop, and our outro music was provided with permission by Droneode. Additional music was provided by Mr. Todd A. Davis and Gary Horn, and the voice of Computer Resume podcast and executive producer, me, Kat Davis. Hashtag LLAP. We'll see you next time. Dun 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 dun. Going
1: through a Star Trek. We're doing Star Trek stuff in space. We probably got some phasers and shuttle pods, and we're gonna find a brand new race. How's that for a slice of fried gold?